Okay, we are in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. And last time we talked about how Paul was in Athens. He gave this sermon on Mars Hill where he, he, he used this genius ability to, to keep himself from being killed by, by starting it to an unknown God. But then he goes in and he started speaking to them about their sin in specific, specifically, which was the sin of idolatry. And he says to them in verse 29 of, of Acts chapter 17, Being then children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to, all, de- declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man, whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, but others said, We shall hear more more concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom were also Dionysius the Arapagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So after Paul had spoken this message, as we read, that he, he speaks to them about this idolatry. And it's interesting what he says in verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Remember, from long ago, from, from uh, 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 Exodus chapter 20, when the Ten Commandments came, God spoke very specifically to the Jewish people about idolatry, that they shouldn't be involved in those practices. But to the Gentiles, he never spoke. This was a word that he spoke in Exodus chapter 20 concerning idolatry. And it says, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance. The actual word there in the Greek is is God winked at it. There was some gesture to, okay, it was wrong, but I'm not going to deal with it at this time. God overlooked it, and he called it a time of ignorance. So that it was a time of ignorance in these people's lives. They didn't know any better. He says, but now I am calling all men everywhere that they should repent of this. So after Jesus came, now he he lumps together that all of us are under this same same umbrella that he is calling us and, and calling us to be accountable to. It's not just what was happening to the Jews. He says, now I'm calling all men everywhere. You may remember that the reason the Jews went into the Babylonian captivity were taken by Nebuchadnezzar, was because of idol worship. Idol worship in Israel was a big problem until the Babylonian captivity. After they went into Babylon, taken to Persia, and came back, idol worship has never, never was, and never has been, and never is a problem among Jews. You do not see idol worship among Jews anywhere in the world since that time, since about 600 AD. God really broke them of that, really broke them of that, and they are extremely careful about that. But, but uh, uh, with Gentiles, you still see this in many parts of the world. And God is calling men to repent. He says that, that, that uh, uh, God is not in, a, in gold or silver or an image of stone. He is not there. God is much greater than that. And He's calling all men to repent. And He says there will be a day of judgment. And I'll tell you, there will be a day of judgment for us if we don't turn from our sins. There is a day of judgment. 
He says, He will judge the world in righteousness through a man. There's a way to escape the great white throne judgment, and that's come under the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ, so that we are free from the white throne judgment. However, we are still, our, 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 our sins we are still have to make an account for, that every careless word that a man shall speak, he shall render account for in the day of judgment. Still there is a judgment. And then he spoke of the resurrection in verse 31, and he says, he furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. The reason Paul spoke of the resurrection, even though he knew the response would be that people wouldn't believe it, is he spoke of the resurrection because it's true. We speak of the resurrection, the resurrection occurred because it's true. But you see, the way that he witnessed to the Gentiles was very different than the way that he he witnessed to the Jews. He wasn't quoting Old Testament scriptures. He wasn't saying Jesus is the Christ, i.e. the Messiah, because there was no recognized Messiah that they were waiting for. But he speaks to them directly about this idol worshipping. He says there will be a day of judgment for you, and the resurrection has occurred. He speaks clearly of the resurrection because it's a fact. In verse 32, when they heard of the resurrection from the dead, some began to steer, others said, we shall hear more again concerning this. And this is the response we hear today. You speak of the resurrection, people will dismiss you as being an idiot. And especially in the intellectual circles in which you and I often participate. But let me tell you something. There are very few people who will go academically toe-to-toe with me. I mean, I've been to as many universities as the best of them. But when it comes to the understanding about life, about the things of life, there is so much richness in the Word of God. And they will try to belittle it and speak against all of these things and speak that you're silly, you're this, you're that. We are not silly. It is true. The Word of God is true. And, and, and you look at their lives. You know, one person wrote to me, he said... Uh, such and such a professor in such and such a department is so critical of Christians and speaks so meanly about Christians in their lectures. And I said, you know, I don't know that person and and I've never met that person, but I encourage you to get to know that person better. And the reason I encourage you to get to know that professor better is because as you get to know them, you will see their lives. And anyone who's so bitter against Christians that they have to speak about Christians, this people group, in their lectures like that, I am sure that they're bitter about many things in life. And I would, I, I, I would uh, bet that their spouse, if they are married, doesn't like them very much. And I'll bet their kids don't like them very much either. So I want you to get to know them because you're going to see that once you get to know them, you don't want to be like them. You don't want to have a life like them. So people may be little, may try to be little what we have, but what we have is an absolute treasure. It will last for eternity. We are placing treasures in the lives of the people around us, and those who are bitter and mock at it, their lives are often very filled with destruction and pain and, and, and bitterness. And this is why I don't put a whole lot of stock in this when people try to, to come against these things that I have. These are treasures, absolute treasures that we have. So when people sneer at it, it's nothing new. Others said, hey, we'll hear of this again. But the formal meeting, this, this meeting that they were having, uh, uh, remember they had, they had brought Paul into this Arapagus, this, this meeting, and, and, and uh, it was over. They ended the meeting. Paul went out of their midst, it says, but some joined them and believed, among whom were Dionysius the Arapagite. In other words, one of the men on that panel that was scrutinizing this believed. 
And his name was mentioned because he was a prominent person. People mentioned prominent people in the Bible. And then there was a prominent woman, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So there were many, there were, there were some that believed. And it named the prominent man in the group and the prominent woman in the group that did believe. And so there was mention of this. But Paul then left Athens. He never returned to Athens as far as we can tell. As far as we can tell, there was no church established in Athens. And then he moved on to the next town. He went to Corinth. In, in Acts chapter 18, reading from verse 1, we're now in Corinth. After he left Athens, he went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, <clears throat> he stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. Okay, so Paul moves on from, from uh, um, Athens and he, he goes on alone. He's not with Timothy, he's not with Silas. They, they follow on later as we read. And he goes there and, and the scriptures say he finds a Jew named Aquila. Your, your uh, New International Version says he met a Jew. Actually, the word there is much more found. He found a Jew. Uh, 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 so found has a sense of looking for, as opposed to met, something of happenstance. He found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, having recently moved from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla are quite prominent couple in the Bible. They are a ministry couple. And very often you will hear Priscilla's name mentioned first. Here the man's name, Aquila, is mentioned first, then Priscilla. Very often you will see it reversed in the scripture, Priscilla and Aquila. Generally the man's name was mentioned first, the woman's name was mentioned not at all. A prominent woman and a man, her name being mentioned first, meant that she was a very prominent woman and may have even had a more prominent place in ministry than he did. Uh, there are women in ministry, for example, Beth Moore. Anybody heard of Beth Moore? Okay, tremendous, powerful ministry. Do you know her husband's name? Mr. Moore, exactly. Nobody knows her husband, but he's, he's there. Do you, do you know her husband? Yeah, he's there in the meetings, right? He, he, his name is Mr. Beth. Okay, and, and uh, so he sits in the meetings there, but his wife has a very prominent ministry. She is an absolutely excellent Bible teacher, and for you who are upset about women teaching in the church, remember, she has been asked to teach by her church leadership. She is very much under authority. The authority that is over her in that, in that church that she's in has asked her, Beth, would you teach this Sunday school class? And the Sunday school class, I spoke in her Sunday school class about five or six years ago, and there were 700 people in the class. And now it's bigger than that. And now, now I don't even think it's taught on Sunday mornings. I think it's taught on Saturday nights. It was like too much competition. I mean, who, who can compete? Because she's so good. There are women who are like that in ministry, and they are functioning very much under authority. Just as I am not standing here on, on my own. I have the authority of the church leadership that says, Jim, we'd like you to teach this class. Say, I'd love to do this. And if the church leadership were to say, we don't want you teaching this class anymore, guess what? I don't teach this class anymore. I am very much under authority. And so when a woman is asked to speak, she's speaking under authority. Her husband's sister, but there is an example of a ministry couple, the woman having more prominent role in ministry than even the man. This can happen. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing godless about it. 
And to see a ministering couple, couples ministering together. You know, I thank God so much for the wife that I have. She, she, she has this ministry where she just blesses people with food. It, this is the social gospel. This is the way it works. And she just loves people so much. I didn't know anything about this when, when I started, you know, feeling all this affection for Shireen. But God knew this. And God brought us together. Who knew? Who knew that 25 years later, she would be complimenting me this way in this ministry? I love to speak to college students about the Lord. I don't care much about feeding them. My wife doesn't care about talking with them. She wants to feed them. You know, so you see there's a complimentary ministry there. Pray. Pray that you get a spouse that will be a compliment to you in ministry. It is a wonderful thing because the two of you can serve together. This is what Priscilla and Aquila had. There's examples of this in Scripture. This is the primary example in the New Testament of a ministering couple. Priscilla and Aquila. So they had come from Italy because Claudius had commanded that all Jews leave Rome. And this is historically known. Claudius uh, uh, had, had commanded all Jews to leave Rome because there was a problem going on because between the Jews and the Messianic Jews, the Jews that believed that Jesus was the Messiah and the Jews that didn't believe, there was a controversy that had arisen. And the Roman authorities, rather than to deal with the problem and try to sort it out, they just said, all of you Jews, get out of here. There were, they didn't distinguish between the Messianic Jews and the non-Messianic Jews. The ones that followed Jesus and didn't follow Jesus. To them, it was just a sect within Judaism. It was all one. They said, we don't need the problem, just all of you get out. And, and historically, it is known exactly what year this occurred. It was short-lived. It was only for a short time period, and then they were, they were invited back in. But during this time period, apparently, Aquila and Priscilla had ended up in Corinth. Corinth was the most wicked of cities. If you said, uh, uh, it, it was turned into a, a verb, to Corinthianize, meant to be decadent, to, to have a decadent lifestyle if the person had been Corinthianized. To speak of a woman as a Corinthian woman meant that she was a prostitute. So this city was very scary in the sense that, you know, this was like, like New York City, Times Square. It was the worst area. This was the very decadent area. And it is a fearful thing. You go, you know, start ministering on Times Square. You know, people aren't embracing you and, you know, say, yes, yes, you know. You know not at all. Not at all. And so this was a scary city. And so what does he do? He goes to the city. He, met, he found a Jew named Aquila. And, and they were both of the same trade. He, may, he didn't have any support at this point. The support comes later. So what he's doing is this quote-unquote tent ministry. This is where it comes from. When people say I have a tent ministry, it means that I am working for a living in, you know, in, in, in uh, East Asia. And, and uh, in doing this, I'm supporting myself. This is but I also have a ministry on the side. This is what Paul was doing. So he was making tents. It was really leather work. They were leather workers. So he probably went to the leather workers guild and he found a Jew there who happened to be a Messianic Jew, happened to be a Jew that believed Jesus was the Messiah, not through Paul's ministry, but through someone else. There was a church already in Rome. Paul knew about the Roman church and he was writing to the Roman church before he had ever gone to Rome, probably through the understanding that he had gotten through Priscilla and Aquila, who had been part of that church in Rome. He had been Jews that were part of that church in Rome. And, and uh, uh, because it says he, found, he, 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 had, he uh, found a Jew. So he was not a Gentile that accepted the, Roman, the Jewish practices. Remember, those were called God-fearers 
or Gentiles of the gate. This was an actual Jew who was following Jesus with his wife Priscilla. And he found him probably at the tent makers or leather workers guild and they decided to work together. And there is a camaraderie based on occupation. You know, if I, if I go to a city and there's a chemical meeting going on, you know, I'll meet guys and we, he, we're here and I may have never met them before, but we're chemists and we have this common bond of chemistry. And, you know, it's, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a chemist thing. It's hard to understand. But, and, and so chemists get together and what do we do? We just start talking chemistry. And then what kind of chemistry do you do? Oh, yeah, you know, tell me about it. And, you know, instantly there's a bond there because we're chemists. This happens, and it's not just within chemists, it's, it's you engineers, I mean, you're chemical engineers, you'll find it, hey, you're a chemical engineer, I'm a chemical engineer, you know, we work in the oil industry, you know, I'm upstream, I'm downstream, and, and you start talking about this sort of thing. You, you guys in the, in the oil industry know upstream means that, you know, where you suck the oil out of the ground, downstream is all the products that come on the other side, and, and people, you know, you know, even associate themselves with the areas in which they work in this, and you find two chemical engineers and catalysis, for example, and they're the best of buddies instantly because they're, they're working in the exact same area and they start talking and this is what happened here. So here they are. It's very easy to meet somebody within the same field. They happen to be Messianic Jews. So all of a sudden, you know, there's a, there's a familiar sort of, of background. I was in uh, Saudi Arabia just this past week and there was a Christian uh, uh, from Nigeria working in Saudi Aramco and immediately just based on some of the things he said I could tell he was a Christian and he said to me you're a Christian aren't you? He says yeah and there's this immediate camaraderie because in a strange place in a strange land all of a sudden there's this bond because we feel the same way about things and, and so Paul had this and there was a relationship going on here and this is what he's talking about this is what he makes reference to and so Paul because he was having to work you know, five days a week or whatever it was, so intense. It says he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath, in verse 4, and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. In other words, there were Greeks in the synagogue that were following the Jewish practices, and there were Jews in the synagogue that grew up with the Jewish practices. But he was only able to minister on the Sabbath day because he had a regular job. Now, you know, I'm sure he was talking to people in the marketplace and trying to witness and stuff, but formally, he had another job he had to do. And he, but he was going right on into the synagogue, as was his practice. To the Jew first, he brought the gospel. Now in verse 5. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and he said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. Then he left there and he went to the house of a a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God whose house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord and, and all his household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. And so... So what happens here is that when Silas and Timothy come down, they bring money with them. There were gifts that were given. Remember, the Philippians gave gifts on more than one occasion that Paul made reference to that would allow him to free up from doing tent-making ministry that would allow him to minister full-time. This is why we support missionaries, to allow them to work full-time in the mission field. There is precedent for this in Scripture. This is why we do this. We support this work. There's precedent for this in the Old Testament. There's precedent for it in the New Testament. Of allowing people to work. Of giving to them to accomplish the Lord's work. 
the, believe, the, the Jewish people that remained in Persia after the Babylonian deportation were, were uh, underwriting all the work for the rebuilding of the temple. They underwrote it. Then it was, it was uh, we see here that there were gifts coming so that it would release Paul to speak now full time. He could be involved in full time ministry. It is a good thing to be released full time. It is also a good thing to have a trade. Because you never know when, you know, things may be cut off. Paul didn't particularly want to be cut off with support. But, you know, there was, a, there was a hard time. So it's not a bad thing to have a trade also, to be able to teach, to be able to do something that if you have to raise money, you can't. That it's like, oh, well, the money's not here. I have to leave the mission field. No. He didn't say, well, you know, if my church back home, back in uh, 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 Syrian Antioch is not supporting me and not sending the money, I think I'll just leave. No. He stayed there. He, he was able to find the means to continue on. It meant that he had to minister a little bit less, but he was able to find the means. And this is why I encourage people, get done with school. Finish your education, go to the mission field. You don't have to drop out in the middle of, of, of college. Finish your education because it's going to mean something to you. It's much easier to get into countries if you have an education. And then when you're there, something may come up. You never know what the future holds. And so to be able to support yourself as an engineer or as a math teacher or something is a good trade to have. So then he, he goes and he starts witnessing. And in verse 5 it says, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ, meaning Jesus was the Messiah. Remember, he didn't use those words to the Gentiles. He was witnessing different now to the Jews than he did to the Gentiles in Athens just, just in the last chapter. Because to the Jews, he was showing them that Jesus was the Messiah, the Messiah that they had long been waiting for. <clears throat> and then it says, but when they resisted and blasphemed, when they started mocking to the degree of blaspheming Jesus, it says, he shook out his garments and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so you say, well, that, that's kind of, you know, spiteful. No, it's not spiteful. He didn't do it in spite. He says, I'm moving on. I'm moving on. And in fact, the shaking out of the garment is a scriptural thing that the Jewish people understood. Because in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 13, and in, in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 4, come these things that you sh he shook out his garments... And he said, your blood be upon your own heads. That's from Nehemiah and from Ezekiel. Something that Jews understood. Meaning that the word of God has come to you and you have rejected it. He was doing something scripturally that they understood. The Gentiles never would have understood that. They would have thought, oh, you know, he's spiteful, you know, mean old man or something. No, the Jews understood this for what it was. That he had brought the word of God, the ministry to them. They rejected it and he was moving on. And Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 10, verse 14. He says, if they don't receive you, that, that you are to move on, that you are to shake the dust off your feet and move on. This is a good thing. You know what the alternative is? The alternative is to sit there and to have a pity party. I witnessed to them, and they didn't receive it, and my feelings got hurt. And I think I'm just going to sit here and just stew about this. And write letters home about how hard the mission field is because I tried to witness to them and they didn't receive it. Well, get on with your life. This is what the scriptures talk about. Just get on. Paul knew very well. I'm getting on. I'm not going to be 
sit here and just be married to this synagogue and try to get you guys to receive Jesus. You don't want them? Fine, I'm moving on. You see, learning how to move on in life is a very good characteristic to have. Learning how to get past an offense. Okay, so somebody said something that offends you. Grow up, move on. Alright, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And some people never grow up and they harbor this resentment the whole time. I, I hate that country because such and such happened to me. You hate an entire country? You know, they'll, they'll take things upon themselves that, that they never should take. It is a good thing to learn how to shake the dust off your feet and move on. So you try to witness they didn't receive it. Whoop, whoop. This happens all the time. It's part of life. Move on. Move on. The scripture gives multiple examples. If, if it was received all the time, can you imagine how swelled our heads would be? If everyone we, we witnessed to fell on their knees and said, Oh, yes, yes, I repent, I'm sorry. We would, we would just really feel we're really something. We need to get beat up once in a while. And just, just have a proper view of ourselves. Learn how to move on. Even beyond the context of just witnessing. Relationships. Learn how to move on. You know, things happen in life. Things occur that are hurtful, that cause pain. Learn how to move on. Paul was very able to move on. And if you look at this, you look at the successful people in Scripture, they all knew how to move on. I'm amazed at the life of David. David raped a woman. David then had her husband killed to cover it up. David then went through great turmoil as a result of this, but he could get up and move on. Most people, after all of this happening, they would be, oh, I'm so miserable, I'm such a stinking sinner. Oh, you know, here I killed him. And they'd never be able to recover. I'm amazed that David could recover in ministry. But every person in Scripture was extremely resilient in being able to recover in their lives. Being able to recover from failure. Failures will come. We must learn how to recover and just move on. Paul said, one thing I do, I never look back, but I press on to the upward call in Christ. We've got to learn. We will blow it so many times. I have witnessed wrongly so many times. I've, I've been hard, I've been mean, I've said things I shouldn't say. So you think, well, maybe I should never do it again. No, I'm going to do it again and I'm going to blow it again. I'm sorry, right? Sorry, and move on. You just learn how to say sorry and move on. This is part of life. Learning how to shake the dust off your feet. Learning how to, how to, how to um, as Paul says, um, he, he, he shook out his garments and he moved on. Shake out your garments, shake the dust off your feet, even as Jesus told us to do, and move on. Move on in many things. You're going to fail. You move on. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for the lessons that we have. Lord, thank you for the testimony of Paul, that he knew how to move on. Father, I pray for these young people that they would not be so encumbered by things from the past, by stresses from the past, things that may have come upon them. And Father, I pray that you cause them to move on from the pains and the hurts, even the pains and the hurts that may have come in childhood, in their families, to move on and to be of service to you to forget what lies behind and press on. Father, thank you for the life of Aquila and Priscilla. And Father, I thank you that that was a, an example of a couple that ministered together. And Father, I pray for these young people that you would grant them spouses, 
that love you, that honor you, that they could learn to minister as couples in ministry, to together serve in ministry. Father, what a blessing it is. Lord, thank you for the example that you put before us. And Lord, thank you for that woman, Priscilla, how she was able to minister Christ in so many ways, as we'll see. Father, I pray that you would raise up more women in our midst that could minister Christ. And Lord, I thank you. And I commit these young people to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.